Well, good morning, church. Uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, even as you're turning there, allow me just to pray one more time. Father, Father, I come to you. Father, I ask you for your strength today. As we look into your word, Lord God, would you please, would your Holy Spirit's power please illuminate this text? Father, would you bring it to life before us? God, would you be the instructor? Would you be the teacher? Would you be the convictor? Would you be the one who transformed God? And would you empower this frail vessel today, I ask, in Jesus' name? And all of the church said, amen. All right, friends, we are indeed coming to the off-ramp, coming to a conclusion in our series of the book of Colossians, which we have called Centered. And we've asked ourselves this, what does it look like to have our lives centered on Jesus Christ? And so every single week, I have walked around this post reminding us that just as planets orbit the sun, so whatever we place at the center of our lives, so does our lives revolve and tend to orbit around that. And so Jesus, what does it look like to have Jesus at the center Last week we said this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, that a life centered on Jesus will be a life of prayer. We identified in this text one simple verse, how do we pray? We pray this way. We continue steadfastly in prayer, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. How do we pray? Steadfastly. Steadfastly, we don't give up. We keep pressing in. We keep praying. How else do we pray? Watchfully. What does watchfully mean? It means I have expectation. I have anticipation. Even as I keep knocking upon the door of heaven, I keep waiting. I keep watching so that when I see the work of God, knowing that he has not abandoned us, I will then be able to do the third thing, which is give thanks. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving at the same time, he says. So all week long, we've done this as a church. We've been praying to God, pounding on the door. Oh, Lord God, give us clarity. Oh, Lord God, please, would you give us unity? Oh, Lord God, please, would you enable us to put Jesus Christ preeminent at the center of all things? And now this. Having prayed those three things, I have a question for you. If you were given one more prayer request, what would it be? Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and he says, hey, pray steadfastly. Pray watchfully. Pray with thanksgiving, and we've been praying that all week long. But now, one more prayer request. What would your prayer, if you could ask your friends, if you could ask the church, if you could ask the world to pray for one more thing, with all that's happening in our world today, what would your prayer request be? Now, let me just build a little more context for us. Imagine this is the situation before you say your prayer request out loud. Imagine you're under house arrest. Okay, maybe this is getting a little too close to home already. Imagine, imagine, imagine you aren't allowed to go outside. Imagine, imagine your communication with the outside world is incredibly limited. Like you're, you're basically limited to written correspondence and supervised distanced visits. Let's imagine 
Let's imagine that you haven't been able to do that which you love most in a really long time. And worse, and worse, you are stuck in this room with somebody not of your choosing, somebody who is not like you at all. So come on now, what is your prayer request? What is your prayer request? You see, whatever your prayer request is in that situation is going to tell you a lot about what's at the center of your heart. You see, the way the Apostle Paul answered that question, the one additional prayer request that he brought before the church gives us a clear, clear, clear picture of a life that is lived with Jesus Christ at the center. You see, friends, what we pray for helps us identify the passions of our heart. What we pray for most, Christian, what consumes our prayer life, oh God, please give us a prayer life, what consumes our prayer life will indeed identify our deepest heart's passion. Today we're on this, friends. Today we're on this, Christ-centered passion. So wherever you are, say passion. Come on, I heard that. Passion. Christ-centered passion. And so now in Colossians chapter 4, the apostle Paul, sitting in a prison cell, socially distanced, having now been imprisoned for over two years. Asks for the church to pray like this. Are you ready? Apostle Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us. Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Then having identified his prayer request, he goes on and says this, walk in wisdom, church. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here we go. Two marks. Two marks of Christ-centered passion. You see, when Christ is at the center, we will be passionate about this. We will be consumed with gospel ministry. We will be consumed with gospel ministry, and we will be concerned with gospel mission. When Christ is at the center, the ministry and the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ will cover all things. We'll be consumed and passionate about that. So Paul says this, pray for me this way. Pray that the door, pray that a door would be open for us. Now, come on, be honest. You're sitting in a prison cell. You've been there for two years. Paul says, open up a door. What door are you praying is going to open? Come on, all in favor of like prison door, please open. Prison door, please open. I'm praying at this moment, if I can be vulnerable with you, I'm praying for this prison door to open right now. But instead, the Apostle Paul says this, that God may open to us a door for the word. 
door for the word. Two years in prison, and he's still just praying that God would open an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. God, just give me one more opportunity for the gospel. Give me one more opportunity to proclaim it. Paul was completely consumed with gospel ministry. You see, he was radically devoted to the message that completely transformed his life. Here's what you got to know about the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Come on, church, we need to hear this. Here's the testimony of the Apostle Paul. He was a man who, before being in prison for preaching the gospel, was in the prison of his own sin, his own superiority, his own hatred towards others, his own prejudice, his own bigotry. Paul was consumed with the gospel of Jesus Christ because it radically transformed his outlook on himself, his outlook on eternity, his outlook on others. Paul's testimony is one where he targeted Christians as a Pharisee of Pharisee, of a Jew of Jews. He drug Christians out of their homes. We read in Acts chapter 7 that he held the coats of the oppressors as they stoned Stephen as the first martyr of the church. The apostle Paul was the one holding the coats. Paul's testimony gives us hope. Paul's testimony today gives us hope. You see, what's amazing is this oppressor. What's amazing is this man who rose to violence. This man who perceived himself to be superior was radically transformed by the presence of Jesus Christ in his life. He repented of his sins. And he gave himself completely to the ministry of the gospel and its word. His mind, his heart, and his devotion all changed. He says, come on, pray that a message, pray that a door would be open, that I would be able to proclaim the word. And just so we're specific here, Paul clarifies what he means by the word. He's not just asking that he'd be able to do just one more Sunday school class or one more Bible study. What is he asking for? An open door that he would be able to declare the mystery to the lost one. To declare the mystery to the oppressed one. Oh God, that you would open a door. Pray that God would open a door to declare the mystery of Christ. Come on, what is the mystery of Christ? The mystery of Christ, that Jesus Christ the Jewish Messiah that he came and he died for the sins of the entire world and that in so doing he was reconciling all mankind to himself. Come on, what's the mystery? Jesus Christ came and he died to reconcile. You see, Paul was in prison. Why? For preaching a message of reconciliation. Paul is in prison, he says. You see, look at, look at the text. 
Pray that an open door is open to me for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. He's in prison, why? For proclaiming the mystery. He's in prison, why? For declaring that Jesus can save all men. Come on, church, if you have your Bible, turn back to Acts chapter 22. I don't have you flipping your Bible very often, but I want you to see this for yourself. Acts chapter 22, when Paul is arrested, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he asks for a hearing before the men who are arresting him. And Paul goes through his entire testimony. He talks about the Emmaus Road. He talks about the, uh, the Damascus Road. He talks about the bright light. He talks about the Damascus Road. He talks about the bright light. He talks about the voice of Jesus. Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? He talks about Ananias. He talks about his own baptism. But now this. Chapter 22, verse 17. When I returned to Jerusalem, he's still telling his testimony to his oppressors at this point. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, he says. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because you will not be accepted. You will not, they will not accept your testimony about me. And then I said, Lord, Jesus, they themselves know that I they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. Verse 20. And Lord, you know that when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving, watching over the garments of those who killed him. Now watch, watch. And he said to me, go. And still Jesus said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. He tells his entire testimony. All the miraculous acts, all the travels, all the visions. But the moment, the moment that he talks about the gospel being to the Gentiles, watch what happens. Up to this word, up to this word, up to this very word, up to this very word where he says that Jesus sent him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, up to this word, they listened to him, then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. For he should not be allowed to live. Friends, do you see it? The moment, the moment the moment Paul touches on the religious leader's prejudice, the moment he dares to say the gospel is also for people other than you, they flip. Get him out of here. Shut him up. Put him in jail. Friends, I want you to catch this. Paul's conversion moved him from the majority to the minority. Paul's conversion, as the, by his own testimony, he said, I was the Jew of Jews. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I was of the elite. People looked to me. I was all that. At his conversion, the apostle Paul went from the majority to the minority. At his conversion, he went from being the oppressor to being among the oppressed.
Friends, the gospel, the gospel radically transforms our perspective. The gospel places us on the bottom. The gospel puts us among those who need God's grace because we need God's grace. You see, friends, the gospel is the eternal means of reconciliation with God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings our vertical reconciliation. For once we were far off from God. Sin had separated us, but it was the work of Jesus Christ that now brings us together with God. And you see, in our vertical atonement, our vertical reconciliation with God, the hope that we find in that is also our hope for our earthly reconciliation as well. For the gospel, for in the gospel we are redeemed as one new man. We just studied in the book of Colossians chapter 3 verse 11 this. The apostle Paul just wrote in the previous chapter here, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. Come on, what is the mystery? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul was in prison for the mystery. What is this mystery? Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're members of the same body and partakers of the promise. Christ in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so Paul says, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray that an open door would be granted to me. You see, Paul gave his life to reconciling, to reconciling people to God, but he also gave his life to the reconciliation of, of others as well. What I want you to consider is throughout the entire New Testament, Throughout the life of the Apostle Paul, he gave himself to reconciling the church. God, Lord God, I would just pray. God, I pray even now that you would move in us, God, please, that you would make us ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. Paul, as a Jew, was called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He gave his life to it. He attended councils, Acts 15, to talk about it. He collected offerings amongst the Gentile church so that he could deliver grace under the church in Jerusalem. He wrote letters reminding us over and over and over and over and over again that we ought to be one in Christ. Paul says, pray that a door is open for me. Pray that a door is open for me. Come on, we've already established this. Where is Paul? Say prison. Just say prison. He's in prison. Who is Paul with in this prison cell? Or even if he's under house arrest, where, he, who is he with? He's in Rome. He's under arrest in Rome it is very likely that the Apostle Paul is chained to a Roman guard. Or at the very least, a Roman guard gives watch over him. And here you have the Apostle Paul. Could it be 
that the very open door that he's praying for is that I would be able to declare the mystery to this Gentile guard. Could it be that the door that he's asking to be opened is this? Look, look, look. I'm here amongst Gentiles right now. Pray that God would give me the words to share with those who are right in front of me. What I love about this, what I love about the Apostle Paul is he never looked out over a person. Have you ever looked, had someone look right over your head? Could it be that the Apostle Paul wasn't praying for the prison door to be open because he had somebody in prison in their own sin right in front of him? You see, when we're consumed with our own desires, when we're consumed with our own freedoms, it's very easy to miss the opportunities for the gospel that are right in front of us. How bad do you think the Apostle Paul wanted to be gathered with the church? The guy's been in prison for two years. What's on his mind? Gospel. Come on, God, give me an open door for the gospel. God, church, pray for an open door for the gospel. Friends, God has opportunities right in front of you. God has opportunities right in front of us. As we see the end of this quarantine season coming in sight, please don't get so fixated on the freedom that is about to come. Let us make sure that we are taking advantage of every opportunity. And the chaos around us right now indeed is an opportunity for the gospel of grace. So much can happen in seasons of limitation. So much can happen in times of oppression. Friends, hear me. A third of Paul's letter were written in this prison cell. A major portion of the New Testament was written in quarantine. And he prays this. Just pray that I would have the words. Church, don't you just want to pray that you would have the words right now? Verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Oh, that we would pray this way for one another. Oh, that we would pray that God would give us the right words at the right time, in the right moments. Oh, that we would pray for one another. Oh, friends, that you would pray for me. That you would pray for our pastors as we're given the privilege to open God's word and declare it. Oh, that you would pray for us, that our words would be protected, that our motives would be pure, that our intentions would match what we say. You see, when Christ is at the center, our passions, our passions, our passions will be consumed with gospel ministry, but now this. Our passions will also be concerned with gospel mission. Our passions will also be concerned with gospel mission, point two. And so now Paul turns his attention to the church. And he says, come on, verse five, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Walk in wisdom, church. Having addressed the talk or the message of the gospel, having addressed the talk, now he's coming after the walk. 
for the gospel, for the believer in Jesus Christ. We don't just talk the talk, we walk the walk. The gospel is not just something that transforms our mind, it also guides us in our actions. It's not enough to give lip service to the gospel. We now have to live out the gospel to the world. And so he prays that they would be a passionate witness for the gospel. I love how he says this, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. You know, it, speaks, it speaks that we would live in a way that brings no unneeded offense. He hates instigation. By God's grace, he can redeem the instigator. But I'm saying the work of instigation, just to provoke, just to flare up, just to drop the thing in the room, to see the chaos erupt. He says, come on, bring no unneeded offense, church. We need not instigate. We need to bring peace. 1 Corinthians 10.32 says, Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. It's not about being slick or having canned presentations. It's about being authentic and real. Walking speaks of action. Let us walk in wisdom toward outsiders, those who don't know Jesus. Let's make the best use of our time, he says. Make the best use of our time. This, this phrase, this phrase, make the best use of your time, is actually a stewardship term. It's actually a financing term. It's actually a budgeting term. He, he's saying, come on, make smart transactions with your time. Use your time wisely. And so when you see an opportunity for the gospel, make sure you cash in on it. Come on, how y'all can, you can relate to the, the whole shopping, the whole shopping cart encounter in the, in the, in the store, right? If you, if you see a deal, what do you do? You put it in the cart. Because if you walk by that deal, the next time you come around that aisle, that deal might not be sitting there anymore, right? You can always put it back, but you better put it in the cart the first time you see it. What's Paul saying? When you see a gospel opportunity, make sure you take it. When you have the opportunity to speak peace, make sure you speak it. When you have the opportunity to bear witness of the gospel, both in word and in deed, be sure to proceed. So we're walking and we're watching for opportunities. And when the opportunity presents itself, we ought to be ready. We ought to be ready. We need to be winsome. Winsome. He says this in verse 6. Let your words always be gracious and seasoned with salt. You know what words that are gracious? Gracious means to extend unmerited favor. To be gracious is to give unmerited favor and to speak kindly even if you don't feel like the actions of the other deserves it. Even if their tonality towards you is not what it ought to be. Gracious, seasoned with salt. What does salt do? Salt enhances. Salt preserves. And so come on, our answers ought to be this. Come on, Christians, oh, this. That our answers would be intelligent. That our answers would be informed. That our answers would be integral. And this, that our answers would be intriguing. That we actually answer the questions that people are asking. 
You know what this requires, being gracious and being seasoned with salt? It requires listening. I want you to think about this. By the time the Apostle Paul has been imprisoned here, we're talking 30 years of earthly ministry. From the time the bright lights shone on that road and blinded the Apostle Paul, he has been doing ministry for 30 years. The oppressor, the one who drugged Christians out, joined the minority and became oppressed. He was called unto the Gentiles. He was called to woo in those whom he couldn't stand before. He wrote letters and visited churches that were filled with people who he had done horrible things to in the past. How much listening do you think the Apostle Paul had to do over the course of his ministry? How many times do you think he had to answer for the offenses of his past? How many times do you think he had to say that was the old me? What you see here is the Apostle Paul was willing to bear under that. He was willing to take the offense again. He was willing to have the conversation again. He was willing to listen again. Why? Because he was called to reach the people he once oppressed. He was called to offer the gospel to those whom he once before treated so poorly. He was called. He was radically transformed. And here you have him saying this. Look, 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 look. Pray that the opportunity would be granted to me to extend the message of the gospel. to those who I once oppressed. Friends, the testimony of the Apostle Paul gives us such hope. The testimony of the Apostle Paul reminds us this Pharisee of Pharisees. The superior one being made low. Just reminds us of the power of the gospel, doesn't it? It reminds us that the gospel is the answer. It reminds us that the gospel is the answer. But remember, the gospel, the gospel transforms our hearts, but it also motivates our actions. What is the greatest commandment? That we love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. And the gospel empowers us to do that. And so let's remember, yes, yes, Christian, yes, the gospel is the answer to our sin problem. The, pro the answer to our sin problem is the gospel. So let's proclaim it. The answer to our impatience problem indeed is the hope of the gospel. So then let's be patient. The answer to the wounds that we endure and the wounds around us is the healing of the gospel. So come on, let us extend a healing touch. Indeed, the answer to the problem of loneliness is fellowship in the gospel. So yes, let us long for 
fellowship and let us extend it in the provisions that God has granted to us now. The gospel's the answer. The gospel's the answer to our impatience. Our, it's the answer to the healing of our wounds. It's the answer to our loneliness. It's the answer to our prejudice. The answer to our prejudice is the equality that we find in the gospel of grace before God, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and so let us walk in it. The answer to the offenses of this earth is the justice of the gospel, so let us speak of justice. Let us pursue justice. The answer to the guilt that we bear is the forgiveness of the gospel. And so let us seek the forgiveness of the Lord. Let us ask for forgiveness. And oh God, give us the strength to grant it. Friends, nothing changes until our heart changes. But our heart doesn't change until Christ is at the center. Nothing changes until our heart changes, but nothing changes until Christ is at the center. You see, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of life. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of life. And God can't be. God can't live in dead hearts. We need our hearts to be made alive in Christ Jesus. Nothing changes until our hearts change, until our hearts are made alive in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince and the power of the air. Do you see it? The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But God. But God being rich in mercy. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us. Even when we were dead in the trespasses of our sins, he made us alive together in Christ Jesus by grace, by grace, by grace we have been saved. Come on friends, when we repent of our sins, when we embrace the work of Christ dying on the cross for us, we are raised to new life. We are raised to new life and we are made alive in Christ. It's at that moment he resides at the center of our lives. It's at that moment that we become reconciled to God. And it's that, that moment where the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is empowered with the same Holy Spirit that fell at the day of Pentecost to unite the nations. Nothing changes until our hearts change. We can't offer life until our hearts are brought to life. Come on, church. Let us look to the author of life. Let's look to the one who created every man, woman, and child. Let us look. Let us look and protect. Let us look and provide. Let us look and stand alongside. Let us come to the father of life. Come on, friend, what's your passion? 
Your passion, our passion, church, ought to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will be toward the ministry of reconciliation to God, to men, and then as the Apostle Paul modeled for us, that we would give ourselves, our entire life, to the reconciliation of one another, that the church would lead, that the church would stand out, that the church would be the picture of the united front of heaven, which one day we will stand amongst, may it be seen now. God, help us. Help us to give ourselves to the ministry of reconciliation. May God give us courage to live out this text, that we would pray for an open door to share the gospel, to be reconcilers. touch us. May the Lord speak to you in this moment. May the Lord even bring your heart to life. For some of you, that could be for the very first time. You've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the scriptures are so very clear about this. He offers you forgiveness. Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for you that pain that you feel in your heart right now, the wound that you're carrying, Jesus Christ was wounded for that wound. He desires to grant you peace and strength. And yes, an eternity with him in heaven awaits, but he desires for you to be his child here and now, to be united with the saints of Jesus Christ. Oh, friend. The Bible says if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that Christ Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, we will be saved. In our hearts, one believes that with it's our mouth that we confess. Come on, right where you are, you can pray. Others of us, others of us, we have trusted in Christ. Our hearts have been made alive, but we've allowed all the circumstances of our day bring a callousness over us. hurts and anger and frustration, would you even in this moment ask the Lord to remove those things, to remind you of the freedom that he's granted you, the love that he's covering over you with, for the power that you have inside of you to be a reconciler because you have been reconciled to God. And so, Lord, we pray. And again, we bow our knee and humility. And God, we just ask, and we're begging of you, Lord God, to do your work. We're simple people. But Father, we acknowledge that you've given us so much, and we want to leverage it for the work of the gospel. Father, you've granted us freedoms, but with those freedoms come great responsibility. Oh God, help Mission Church to not rest in our own wants, in our own pursuits, in our own desires. God, help us to see. Give us ears to listen, eyes to see, feet that march to the beat of your gospel's drum. Give us hands to serve. Give us voices to declare your gospel. And may our actions model that which we proclaim. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.